There is a lot of conflict in this world. Would you agree with me? Amen. Would you agree with me that there is a lot of conflict in this world? Yep. Okay, I'm asking for participation this morning. Yes. I need some conversation. It's raining outside. I need some, come on, let's get some juice going here. Yes. Would you agree with me that there is conflict in this world? Yes. There we go, good. I mean, you just look at the news and there's evidence after evidence. There's, there's a war raging between Ukraine and Russia. And also this week, it appears that there may even be a civil war in Russia. Wars in Sudan and Somalia and many other places. Disputes in the Middle East. Dispute between uh, China and Taiwan. A dispute or ongoing disputes between North Korea and South Korea. War is almost a, a, a constant presence in our world. And it's interesting that civilization and democracy hasn't made anything much better. There's one historian that notes that in the last 3,420 year, 21 years of recorded history, there have only been 268 years without a war. That's less than 10% of the time in the last 3,500 years that there has been not a war raging in one part or another of this planet. You see, war is almost a constant. And although there's no physical wars currently in the United States, we can readily agree that there is a significant amount of conflict in the United States. There's Republicans and Democrats, so there are red states and there are blue states. And there are cultural wars that abound all through the United States. There is clearly the presence of conflict in the United States. But conflict is just not on a broad societal level. There's conflict that happens on an individual level as well. And we often think to ourselves, well, yeah, the, most of that conflict is, is out there. It's a societal issue. And it, yeah, I'll agree that there's conflict out there, but it really doesn't affect me that much because I don't have much of a part of that conflict that's going out there. So I just kind of have to exist with that conflict. But the reality is, is that the conflict is actually much closer to home. There's a significant reality that the conflict is part of us and is kind of within us because each of us have conflict in our own lives. All of us have conflict in our lives and sometimes we're the cause of that conflict in our lives. And there's conflict all around us, all around us that's really close to us. There's sometimes conflict in the home. There's conflict between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between brothers and sisters, between housemates and roommates. There's conflict at work and at school. Sometimes it's difficult to get along with a boss or a coworker or a fellow student. And there's not only conflict at home or at work or at school, there's also conflict in churches. There are people in churches that create conflict and difficulties. There is conflict all around us. There's societal, broad societal conflict, and there's conflict that's closer to home, individual conflict that we all experience. But the interesting thing when we talk about conflict, there seems to be a universal reality that when we talk about conflict, we end up all desiring peace. Almost everyone desires or wants peace. We want peace in Ukraine. We want peace in the Far East. We want peace in the Middle East. 
We want peace in our churches, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, and we especially want peace in our own lives. Almost everyone wants peace. But we live in this crazy, messed up world that is just full of conflict. But it is into this crazy, messed up world that Jesus calls his followers. He calls you and me as his followers to be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, if you would, would you take your Bibles and would you open them up to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the rack in front of you. And I'd encourage you to follow along. Matthew chapter 5 is found on page 786 of that Bible that's in front of you. We're continuing in our study of the Beatitudes this morning. And this morning we are on the seventh Beatitude. And remember, all the Beatitudes are statements of identification, instruction, and blessing. That if we are born again, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we will demonstrate these characteristics in our lives and we will live them more and more fully. Matthew 5 verse 9 says this. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. All followers of Jesus are called to be peacemakers. The message paraphrase puts it like this. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are in your place in God's family. As we learned last week, we are to be pure before God and we're to have pure motives toward other people. And it is out of this purity that God calls us to be peacemakers in this broken world. Now, in order to understand this beatitude, in order to understand what it means to be a peacemaker, we have to first recognize or understand what Jesus means when he speaks here of peace. Peace is not only the absence of something bad, it is also the presence of something good. It's not only the absence of something bad, it is the presence of something good. It is not just the absence of activity, and it's more than the absence of hostility, and it is certainly not appeasement. In the Old Testament, we get a bit of a better picture of what Jesus means by peace. In the Old Testament, there is this word shalom. And this word shalom references peace. And it's the peace that Jesus, it's the concept that Jesus is speaking of here in our text. Shalom is the idea of health, prosperity, harmony, and wholeness. Health, prosperity, harmony, and wholeness. Shalom was often used as a greeting for peace. And what the wish was is the wish was for the absence of external conflict and the presence of an inner well-being. Absence of an external conflict and a presence of an inner well-being. When you think about the people of Israel, when you think about God's people, the Israelites, you, you recognize that throughout their story, they engaged with a lot of enemies. There were a lot of people that were in conflict with them or were fighting against them. 
And they desired the peace of God in their lives. They desired this shalom. And it's interesting that God himself desired shalom or peace for them. He provided them with a blessing of peace. Many of you know this blessing. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, where it says this. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. You recognize this? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Look at this. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God himself wants to bless us with peace. Everyone wants peace, wants an absence of external conflict and an inner sense of well-being. Are you here today and you've come and you, and you want peace? You recognize that maybe there's some conflict in my life and you've come to this place. Maybe you even reluctantly came here. Maybe you woke up this morning and you weren't sure what you were gonna do and then this idea popped in your head. Hey, I'm gonna go to Calvary Church this morning. It's raining. And you found yourself here. Maybe you're watching online and you got up this morning, you turned on your computer and you found yourself at Calvary Church's website and now you're here listening. Are you here and you're listening to this and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I have some conflict in my life. And I desire peace. Do you want peace? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Remember, I need some conversation today. Do you want, yes, we all want peace. And it's a good thing. It's good to want peace. But there's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem of peace. Yes, there is that external conflict that is in the broad society around us, but there's also this internal conflict that we have in our own lives and in our own hearts, and that causes us to be in conflict with other people. We have this, this conflict that is closer to home. And we all sense it. We get it. We get the problem. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 4. Turn to James chapter 4 in the church Bible. It's on page 979. The apostle James recognizes this problem and he, and he, and he speaks to it in chapter 4, verse 1. Look at what James writes. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You know what he's, what causes the conflict that's among you? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now here this morning as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and even if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you get this, don't you? Don't you? You get what James is saying here. You know what it is like to battle with your desires. We often do daily battle with our desires. There seems to be a war sometimes raging within our souls. Good versus evil, right versus wrong. What my parents think versus what I think. What my friend desires versus what I would like to have. We have this desire, this battle that rages in our souls because we have these desires. These desires that are part of our hearts. It's interesting, this word for desires, the word that James uses here is the Greek word hedonis. Hedonis. 
Does it sound familiar? Yeah. It's where we get the Greek word hedonism, or we get the English word hedonism. It's the philosophy or it's the idea that we are in this thing for our own satisfaction and our own gratification. We're about self-satisfaction and self-gratification. It's the idea or the philosophy of I want what I want and I am going to go after it and get it. I have these desires in the depth of my heart and I am going to go after to fulfill those desires. And the battle rages inside of us. It's the cry of the world, isn't it? All around us. It seems like everyone lives by this philosophy. Look around. Do you see what happens when people live by this philosophy? It's present every day. It's in the stories that I mentioned at the beginning, the wars that I mentioned at the beginning of the service. It's in the midst of conflict within families, within friends, within coworkers, within fellow students, within churches. It is the raging of the desires within the soul. And it's a real problem. And here's the thing. The problem of peace is a problem of the heart. It's a problem of the heart because our hearts are sinful by nature. And out of that sin comes this problem, this conflict, because my desires compete with your desires. And as a result of the competing desires, we have conflict. But the good news is that there's a solution. The good news is that God recognizes the condition of our hearts. He recognizes the problem of the heart. He recognizes the sin that you have in your heart and that I have in my heart. So he provides a solution. And the solution is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus comes to bring peace to you and to me. And he brings that peace through his sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. He sheds his blood so that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, he forgives us of that sin and he starts transforming and molding and shaping our hearts to be more like his heart, which is a heart of peace. The Prince of Peace is the way that we can experience peace in our lives. And all of that is called our justification. It's we are made right in view of God. And look how Paul puts this in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is only one way to experience peace through God, and that is through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. You have to have faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins to make your heart right so that you can experience the peace of God in your heart. And my friends, that is the first step toward peace with other people and peace within our society. You see, peace does not start at a societal level and work its way back towards the individual. Peace starts at the individual level and you will never have peace within yourself. Never, because there is only one way to peace within yourself and that is through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. You have peace with God first, then you can have peace with yourself and when you can have peace with yourself, because you have peace with God, now you can have peace with others. Do you see how that flows? 
There is no peace in society without the Prince of Peace. And there is no peace in between individuals without the Prince of Peace. And there is no peace within yourself without the Prince of Peace. Only one way to peace. And that starts with the individual receiving the Prince of Peace so you can have the heart of peace that God has for you. Now, jump back to Matthew chapter 5. Back to Matthew chapter 5. Page 786 or 5, I can't remember. There it is. We're back on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're back in the Beatitudes. And now I want you to see what Jesus is doing with all of these Beatitudes because in all of these Beatitudes, he is working on the heart. He is molding us and he is shaping us to be more like himself so that we can live and engage, we can experience and engage with the people around us. See, he is calling us to more. Look at these again. Recognize that they're all heart issues. We're to be poor in spirit recognizing our lack of righteousness before God. We're to mourn over our sin and brokenness. We become meek. That means we humble ourselves and we submit to God's leading and will for our lives. And then these three beatitudes lead us to hunger and thirst for righteousness so that we can be filled, so that we can be satisfied. And then remember he said there's a turning point. And as we hunger and we thirst for righteousness, it leads all of us to be merciful to other people. And as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, it leads all of us to be pure in heart before God and pure in motives to other people. And as a result of being more merciful and as a result of being pure in heart, it now leads us to be peaceful peacemakers. See, in these Beatitudes, Jesus has us on a journey. We're to be merciful, we're to be pure in heart with God, and it leads us to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And when you look around, do you see the need? Do you see the huge need that exists? There is a huge need for peacemakers. People need peace. Broken, hurt people need peace. Broken, hurt families need peace. Broken, conflict-ridden workplaces and schools need peace. And Jesus has called you and me to be peacemakers. And the great thing is, is everyone is predisposed to wanting peace. And you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are called to be a peacemaker. Well, what then is a peacemaker? A peacemaker is someone who is actively working to reconcile, reconcile someone to God and to each other. A peacemaker is someone who is actively working to rec reconcile others to God and to each other. Now notice this is not a peace lover. It's great to be a peace lover, but Jesus is calling us to be more than peace lovers. He is calling us to be peacemakers. He is calling us to be agents of peace in his world. Every one of you has a sphere of influence. Every one of you has people who God has brought into their lives to influence for the Prince of Peace. Jesus is calling each one of us to be peacemakers. And I have four ways that I believe he is calling us to engage as peacemakers that I would like to share with you. Four ways we should engage as peacemakers. First, the greatest way that we can engage as a peacemaker is to work to bring about peace between someone and God. We who have experienced the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and as a result have experienced his peace in our lives 
have people who God has brought into our lives who do not have the peace of God in their life because they do not know the Prince of Peace. So God is calling you to engage as a peacemaker to bring peace to that person by lovingly, kindly, and clearly sharing the gospel of peace with that person. The first, and I believe the most important way that we can engage as a peacemaker is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, with those who do not have the peace of God in their lives. Who is it that you know that does not have peace in their life? Do you have that person in your mind right now? If you do and you're taking notes, write their name down in the notes. If you're not taking notes and you're just looking at me, that's okay. Think about that person in your head. Mark them off in your head. Because it's likely that that person who has no peace also does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And you have the opportunity to be a peacemaker by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with that person. Be a peacemaker. The second way to engage. I'd like to do a little self-analysis first. I'd like you to think about your sphere of influence, your friends. I'd like you to think about the relationships that you have. Think about close relationships that you have with people and think about maybe relationships that are not so close. Maybe even think about acquaintances that you have in your life. Okay, you got a few, you got, the, you got your circle down? Close people, relationships, not so close people, maybe acquaintances, and I'm thinking about the relationships in my life. Are, those, are there any of those people that you're in an argument with? Are there any of those people that you're maybe in a disagreement with? Are there any of those people that maybe it's not an argument or a disagreement, but maybe it's a rift. Maybe it's a rift you're with in with those people. I'd like you to look at what the Apostle Paul says in this regard. No, excuse me, it's Matthew. It's Jesus who says this. Try to downgrade Jesus. That's not good. Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Notice what this says. That if you're in the act of worship, can we all agree that worship is an important act? Can we all agree that worship is a really, really important act? I, I agree. Worship is extremely important. But Jesus says here that there is something more important, and that is to go and make things right first. And please notice there is not a requirement that the person be justified in the belief that you have wronged them. It just says, if your brother or sister has something against you, then you go and be reconciled. Be a peacemaker. Do you know someone who has something against you? Not whether they're right or wrong. Do you know someone who has something against you? If a person's name has jumped to your mind and you're taking notes, I'd like you to write that name down in your notes. If you're not taking notes, I'd like you to mark that name in your memory. And then this week, I'd like you to go and be a peacemaker. And remember, it's not whether they're justified or not. It's whether they, as Jesus said, has something against you. And if someone comes to you to make peace, 
If somebody comes to you to make peace, Paul is clear about your response. Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be a peacemaker. Third, if the second encouragement wasn't hard enough, this one raises the bar even higher. And I'm not sure many of you will like this, but it is peacemaking. We are all peacemakers when we lovingly confront a brother or a sister who is in sin. We are all peacemakers when we lovingly confront a brother who is, or a sister who is in sin. And notice there were two requirements there. It's a loving confrontation. It's a loving engagement. And it has to be with a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus says about this in Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now at first, this looks a lot more like troublemaking than peacemaking. Shouldn't we just mind our own business? No. Peacemakers cannot mind their own business. Think about this. If sin separates us from a holy God and breaks our fellowship with him, the very sin in our life ends up hindering our peace with God. And that sin creates internal conflict and likely external conflict. So if you love a brother or sister who is trapped in sin, your love requires that you engage with that brother and sister, that you lovingly engage with that brother and sister about the sin that they have in their life so that they can be made right again with God and experience God's peace so that they themselves can experience peace so that they themselves can give or be peacemakers with other people. Fourth and finally, I know at this point you're thinking to yourself, boy, not another one. You can be glad there's only four. <laughs> there will be times when you encounter conflict between two people when you're just kind of generally an observer of conflict. There are people that God brings within your sphere of influence and they're in conflict. Maybe it's two people, maybe it's a number of people, maybe it's even a group of people, but you become aware of the conflict. It's into that situation that God also calls you to be a peacemaker. He calls you to bring the Prince of Peace into that situation to reconcile those people to peace or with peace to themselves, to each other. In Philippians chapter 4, in the first few verses, there's an interesting little section, and it's a very short section, where Paul identifies two women who are in conflict in the church in Philippi. And Paul calls out a person, a man he calls his true companion. He doesn't even name this individual. He just calls him his true companion and says to his true companion, you need to go to these two women and help them reconcile. And if you need more help, bring some others along so that these two women will be reconciled recognizing that within the body of Christ, recognizing that within our sphere of influence, these conflicts can be serious and have significant effects on not only the people within the conflict, not only their peace, but the peace all around. So Paul says in those situations, engage with those who you observe have no peace 
or are in conflict. So four ways that we can engage as followers of Jesus to become or to be peacemakers. But it raises the question, if if I engage in the peacemaking process, am I always going to be successful? Is there always going to be peace that results from my efforts? What if I take a stand of truth for Jesus? What if I take a stand for truth and it actually results in more conflict and not less conflict and there's a lack of peace? Am 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 I no longer a peacemaker? Not necessarily. Look what's said to this. If possible, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The implication here is that at times it will be impossible to actually have peace, that some conflict will still exist. Sometimes standing for the truth makes it impossible to resolve the conflict. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. That's interesting, isn't it? Do you see that? Look at verse 19. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So we are not to prevent divisions at all costs. Clearly, here there is a stand for the truth and Paul knows that there will be some division. In fact, it's because real Christians were genuine peacemakers that the division actually existed. Look at the way Jesus says it. Jesus puts it like this. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. In other words, we are to work for peace. We must love and we must work for peace. We must long for the resolution of conflict, but we must never abandon our primary allegiance to Jesus and his truth. And when we stand for the truth, there will be some times where some people will affirm us in our stand for the truth, yet others will be in conflict with us because we stand for the truth of Jesus Christ. So it's not always possible to have peace. But as so far as it is possible for us, as much as it depends on us, we are to move for peace. We are to be peacemakers. Now, if you're not at the point where you think peacemaking is hard, because it is hard, it is hard to be a peacemaker. And I think Jesus recognizes that it is difficult to be a peacemaker. So now take your Bibles and turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Back to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus recognizes that it is hard to be a peacemaker. So there is a specific blessing that is attached. There is a reward for peacemaking. There is a reward for being a peacemaker. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The reward for being a peacemaker is that you will be called a child of God. When we act as peacemakers, we are called children of God. Jesus is saying here that peacemakers will be known and recognized as what they really are, children of God. A peacemaker has been bestowed the title of being a child 
of the Prince of Peace. In the original language, this beatitude that reads here, they shall be called the children of God. That's what it reads here in this NIV. But literally, it actually says that we will be called sons of God. It specifically says sons and not children. And although that may seem like a minor thing, I think it actually has more import than we probably would give it. Because the idea of sons has something more intimate in mind than the idea of just being a child of. So the idea of being a son of or a daughter of somebody has more of an intimate connection that I believe the writer is trying to get at here. There is this intimate connection between a son and his father and between a daughter and her father. And it's the idea of being out of the character of or part of the representation of. It's a intimate connection to one's father. It creates an intimate resemblance of one's father. It demonstrates that. For years, I would walk around and people would talk to me and they would say to me, oh, you're Wally's boy, aren't you? And I would say, yeah, I, I am Wally's boy. And even in the last few years at church when I've been a pastor here and my dad's kind of been quieter and quieter, people would still come up to me and say, you're Wally's boy, aren't you? I don't know that anybody ever went to, up to him and said, oh, you're Tom's dad. <laughs> but you know what? It was one of the best compliments I could ever receive. Amen. To be Wally's boy. To be Wally's son. In fact, last week I officiated a wedding and I had to walk from the house way down across the lawn kind of to the, the wedding uh, setting area. And as I walked down to the house, I walked to this area uh, through this lawn and there was a woman waiting at the bottom and she used to go to Calvary Church. She doesn't go to Calvary Church anymore. And she said to me, you know, when you were walking down that lawn, I looked at you and I thought to myself, you walk just like your dad. And I thought to myself, I don't walk anything like my dad. Since that time, I've had three people between services tell me I do walk like my dad. So maybe I'm wrong. The point is, is it's such an incredible compliment to me Amen. because I resemble the character of my father. Right. How much better? How much better the compliment that you resemble the character of your heavenly father. How much better if somebody came up to you and said to you, man, aren't you a child of God? Aren't you the son of God? Aren't you the daughter of God? Don't you walk like God? <laughs> We live in a world that is in deep conflict. There's conflict all around us on a broad societal level, on an individual level, within the relationships that we have in our lives. There is a great need for peace Amen. and peacemakers. And Jesus has called you and me to be a peacemaker. And when we are, people will look at us and they will see us as a child of God. 
they will say, aren't you a son of God? Aren't you a daughter of God? It is my prayer for myself, for each one of you, and for Calvary Church that we would be known as peacemakers. My friends, if you have not observed, there is conflict in the world. There is conflict in the United States. And part of that conflict is the result of churches and people within those churches abandoning their directive to be peacemakers. Because there are people in churches and primarily in the evangelical church in America who are out there fighting for their rights fighting for their privileges, fighting to, for their desires. And the world is not looking at the church of America and saying, boy, there go the sons and daughters of God. I pray for you and for me and for Calvary Church that when people look at us, they will say, there are the sons of God and the daughters of God. And the only, way that, the only way that happens is that we become and are peacemakers. See, we all have a choice. We can either be peacemakers, peace breakers, or peace fakers. Peacemakers, peace breakers, or peace fakers. I know life's not easy. I know there are trials and difficulties, burdens and responsibilities. But God has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for this church, and he is not finished with us yet, but he is calling us people to be peacemakers in this world. So in just a minute, the worship team's gonna come out, and I believe that we have a little reflecting to do. Because we have to decide. We have to decide if we are going to answer this call seriously or not. I pray we do. And I pray we do it together. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you are a good, good God. You are merciful and gracious. You have been merciful and gracious and kind to each one of us. You have demonstrated your love over and over and over again. Forgive us, Lord, when we have not responded in kind. Forgive us when we have pursued our own desires. Help us, Lord, to be who you have called us to be individually and as a church. As we sing these songs, Lord, I pray that you will work in our hearts and our minds, that you'll help each one of us become more like your son, Jesus Christ. But specifically today, Lord, I pray that you'll help each of us become makers of peace. Lord, I want to be called a son of God. And I believe my brothers and my sisters do as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.